Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport and this is a bit of a special programme because I'm speaking to you from the future. It's already Thursday morning here at Mount Panorama. I'm looking down at the Liquid Molly Bridge and the start finish line here off to my left is Hell Corner and that's because we're here for the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours this weekend. We'll have a preview, uh, Richard Creel and I will be taking a walk up the pit lane, which is just below me. I'm standing on the balcony outside the press room at the moment. Uh, we'll be doing that later on in the programme. And our big interview tonight is Tony Calderon as he talks about his movie, The Gentleman Driver. Uh, that's all to come tonight. But meanwhile, over in London, up in London, I suppose you could say, for so many reasons uh, today, with all the news, it's our executive producer, Tim Gray. Latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we're starting with some Formula One news, John. I was expecting a yay from Nick Damon there. I, no, because you, no, you always say you have to introduce me first before I can say yay. There's these very strict rules that come on. You have to say, and here's our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. And I go, yay! But you said we have Formula One news, John. So I thought John was going to say something, and then I say yay. We really have to rehearse more. We do. Uh, Nick Damon's with us tonight. Hooray! <laughs> oh, no, I've, cheated, I've cheated myself now. That's a bit. That... And we're talking about Formula One to start with, That's, Nick. Uh, immodest, isn't it, really? Yes. Uh, Formula One up for sale, apparently. Oh. Oh. Well, yes, and more likely, no. Because um, when you kind of sit around and, and you think about the major tell you what Tim can you name me the five, ma- five just name me five major news organisations in the world oh well I would go with uh, Reuters mm-hmm. uh, NBC uh, the BBC oh, that's good good uh, News International oh yeah of course um, mm-hmm. well, and yeah. probably something Chinese Weibo or something which I think is a... yep so what I'm saying is, on the top five places to get top information, or on the top 5,000, would JohnWallStreet.com be there? No. Right. Jo- well, that's that's where this fabulous piece of information has come from, uh, JohnWallStreet.com, which is a kind of a, a sports-based investment blog, um, uh, obviously based around investing into the war- into the uh, 
uh, American marketplace. Their current headline is the cost of 30 second commercials uh, for the Super Bowl declining since 2007. That's that's your big news well, today on as well, JohnWalls.com. Um, Atlanta spending 50 million to host the Super Bowl. That's that's something else that's big on their news. Um, yeah, and it's it's and they had a kind of a tips and gossip section um, at the beginning of the week. And item three yes. uh, was a statement that it was thought possibly maybe a rumor a bit that uh, slightly Liberty might be thinking possibly of not selling it. It wasn't the name of it. It was actually reducing their stake. So it's interesting it's become they're it. going to sell the whole thing. The actual initial items are just reduce your stake. Uh, who might be interested in buying it? Uh, well, this is, this is another great thing, because as soon as people heard it was up for sale, which it's not, because uh, obviously reducing your stake just means you can bring somebody else on to, take, to bring in some more money and take on some of the risk. Uh, they then decided it was going to be bought by everyone. B. Eccleston. Mr. B. Eccleston, what's he had to say about it? Do you know what? I don't know, actually. I have not seen B. Eccleston's quote, which is a pity, because if I had, I could do the voice. He said, if people say I should be involved, that's up to them. I'm an employee of the company and will do what I'm told. If they want me to help, I'm willing to do so. I don't want to lie on my deathbed and see the sport I created go downhill. That'll be the deathbed next Tuesday, then. Um... Well, you know, think about it. He has grown the uh, recently the evil the evil overlord goatee beard, hasn't he? So you know he, he's probably sitting in a corner with a Machiavellian chuckling going on. Um, you know, uh, uh, my guess is that this is at best a conversation that somebody who worked a bit for Liberty Media had with some sort of analyst, where they, there was a mention, like in the seventh thing down, they might be thinking of reducing their stake, and suddenly F one is for sale. Um, which it isn't. Uh, who else has uh, suggested he's got an interest in buying it and has uh, launched a crowdfunding plan or talked about launching a crowdfunding plan? Uh, I, was I have absolutely joking. no idea, but the fact you use, a crowd, the fact you use crowdfunding makes me, makes me think... You... I think I've lost you, Nick. Are you still there? I'm back. Hello. Excellent. Uh, it was me? Lucas Degrassi. Really? Yes. Right. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, he is everyone's uh, favourite in, in waiting to uh, perhaps become the FIA president in 20 years' time. I don't think he's actually going to be able to crowdfund to buy F1. And let's be honest, he's, he, he managed to embarrass F1, didn't he? Yes. By being beaten by a... Even though he's not an F1 driver, he just has driven an F1. And being beaten by a, a gamer in a weird... Monopisto Dolly thing at uh, uh, the race of champions, and suddenly F1 drivers are no good, and and, and virtual races are great. None of neither of which statements is either true nor not true. It's just that Lucas Degrassi didn't beat a virtual racer. No, it was a lot of real racing. Uh, earlier in the month, uh, there was uh, in uh, Birmingham they uh, had a simulator which they had some of the top F1. Uh, or EF1 drivers. What do they call the eSports version of Formula 1? Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
Right, yes, okay. Um, and then there was, uh, then was uh, Mr. L. Lundqvist, uh, who put his uh, occupation down as Formula 3 champion. Well, that's, that's an accurate question. Did, did Mr. L. Hamilton and Mr. S. Vettel do well as well? Uh, neither of them took part, but I'd imagine they would have done. Running scared. Uh, so, why do we think the story's come out? Uh, because there's nothing else happening. Okay. Uh, <laughs> why might and Liberty want to reduce their stake? Um, I think, I, you know, realistically, um, I think it's fair to say that Liberty took over with a massive fanfare and sending the old man upstairs and everything was going to be great. Um, and they have found things way more difficult to do than they thought they were going to be. You know, that the, the, the Piranha Club is... is gloriously inflexible they were tied into long-standing commitments for when change was going to happen and and everything else and also uh, you know there's things with the concord agreement they couldn't change that they've been saddled with some rather unfortunate uh, um tv rights like that like, there's no way liberty will want to have this upcoming four or five years Sky in the UK, they still want to have a live free for air thing. They, but obviously, that was signed in Burmese era. Um, they've had a number of problems getting the F1 app to work, and it's a, it's a lot of focus. And they've always got a huge amount of money invested. And obviously, what investment firms want to do is have to invest in something else. And the next big thing, we've got so much tied up in one uh, venture, you haven't got any left to buy something else, it turns up. Uh, who else has been having a go at Liberty this week? It's not been it, but basically, obviously, it was what everyone worked out was is that in about two weeks' time, um, they start launching all the cars. So at that point, no one's going to listen to anything about cars and testing in the season. And everyone's just come back from their holiday. And, and even even the, the, the websites of, of Autosport and their partners have run out of prearranged quotes from Abu Dhabi. So they worked out, this is the biggest news vacuum in F1 that we're going to find all year. So let's give uh, Liberty a good old kicking. Uh, it appears to be, and the and, and a completely non-interested group, all completely independent, have no desire apart from the good of the sport. The Formula One Promoters Association have kicked them as well, saying you know, they're not very happy with the organi- with the arrangement for the races, and it's too much and everything else. Not for any reason at all, and they just want to see better racing, and not because they want to get their rates reduced. There's a lack of clarity on new initiatives in F1, and a lack of engagement with promoters on their implementation said a statement from the Formula One Promoters Association. New races should not be introduced to the detriment of existing events, although the association is encouraged by the alternative business models being offered to prospective venues. As we enter a new season of the sport that we've promoted for many decades, the promoters seek a more collaborative approach to the development of the championship and the opportunity to offer their experience and expertise in a spirit of partnership and with Formula One and the FIA. Uh, so this is the uh, FOPA, which represents 16 of the 21 circuits. Yes, not Abu Dhabi, China, um, Bahrain, Bahrain, Monaco. Um, Russia, Mexico, I think. Um, yes, yeah, so basically it's the old... The old it does represent European Mexico, circuit. although Mexico yeah. then issued their own statement saying, we do not support the statement that was issued on our behalf. That's, it's, 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 that's the kind of thing that happens. It's American politics where they happen, where they issue a kind of a majority statement about something and then also a minority one on their committees. So the ones who don't agree get a chance to say what they think as well, even though the majority one is the one that, that goes forward. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's, it's, it's pretty transparent. It's, you know, the, 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 
tracks want to have a chance of making some money. I mean, I'm not saying it necessarily they're wrong. You know, it'd be nice if they can make some money. And obviously got the situation with some of the major uh, historical races. You know, we, this is theoretically the last Silverstone. If we don't have a, a new arrangement, um, it's theoretically, you know, I think Monza's out of a, co- a commitment as well. So there's several races really, which are likely to need a renegotiation. There's a lot of talk about how they're going to do it, how they're going to pay the money. And that F1, certainly from when uh, CBC took over, as purely a money-raking organisation, and it raked the money. And as Liberty have tried to turn it into a more forward-facing, um, marketing-led, let's have a look and see what we can do with attracting young people and social media. That's thrown a lot of cost into that. And at the same time, you know, they've, they've, they've not been able to return the responses, return the investment of various other people. So it's, you know, it's, it's effectively... It's one of those things where if you, you, you can absolutely categorise uh, Bernie Eccleston's last 10 years of his reign as, as horrendous underinvestment. So effectively what Liberty Media have done is they've bought British Leyland uh, when they're producing Maxis and uh, Allegros. And they're trying to move them into uh, being the, uh, the, the, the factories that are producing you know, minis now in Canley. You know, and, and, they, and it takes a lot of investment. It takes a long time. But people are expecting it to turn around in two seconds. But at the same time, they're also expecting to carry on making shed loads of cash. And, and the two are, are mutually exclusive. And everyone's getting all whingy about it. Um, I actually, yeah, I feel quite sorry for Liberty. I think they're doing a lot of the right things. They're not doing everything right. They get some things wrong. Um, but they are facing so many problems that they, I'm sure, perhaps this is where they've gone wrong, they didn't expect to face. They probably thought it was going to be easier. And they probably thought, you know, with Bernie was causing the problems. But, you know, there's so many vested interests. There's so much money involved. Uh, one thing Hard that... To... Oh. Sorry, Nick. One thing that uh, F1 has been doing since Liberty took over is trying to engage new audiences with uh, fan festivals like the uh, one in uh, Miami last year. Yes, that went well because there's now a Miami. Gr- oh, no, there's not. Uh, Miami Grumpy. Yeah, they're, they're going to do a launch festival, aren't they? In. Um, uh, where- uh, they're going to do four more of them this the year. The season, I think the week before, they're going to have a. Okay. Uh, the first one, as you mentioned, is in China. I said I thought it was Melbourne for the first one. I'm sure, I read today they're going to have a, a launch in uh, Melbourne. They'll have a launch in Melbourne, but that's not uh, one of their fan fests. Ah, right. Okay, so fan fest in China. Okay, where yeah. are the other three going to be then? Uh, then they go to Chicago. Okay, that's uh, the centre of motorsport in every possible way. Yes, it's uh, one thousand two hundred kilometres away from the nearest Formula One track. It's a lot more than that from the, from the track they use. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's 1,200 kilometres away from the circuit Gilles Villeneuve. Oh, OK. <laughs> OK, I wasn't going that way. I was going the other way. Yeah. Uh, then they're going the other way themselves to Los Angeles. Right. How far is that from Texas? A long way. Right. Uh, and then they're going to Rio. Which is nowhere near Sao Paulo. Not really. Uh, brilliant! That's 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 an excellent collection of choices of places where Grand Prix aren't. But uh, then again, I suppose if you're the mass masses who can't see it easily, and so they'll think about travelling. So I suppose it spins spins around about if it's a good or a bad idea. Uh, who is uh, rumoured to be getting a half day test in the new McLaren? Who is rumoured to be testing the new McLaren? Um, Fernando Alonso. Is correct. That was a, that was a guess in the back of my head. 
because I couldn't think of anyone else because they've got enough rookies knocking about. There's another one. So is he? Is he? Well, I think Lando Norris said they want they were happy to have his expertise involved, um, which is obviously uh, you know, worthwhile. The races are in Barcelona, so it's not far to. Sorry, the, the practice is in Barcelona, the testing, so it's not far to come. So yeah, good luck. I'm sure he'll be a very useful weapon. Uh, what has uh, Valtteri Bottas been up to recently? Well, uh, crying, wondering where it all went wrong, uh, trying to come back stronger. Uh, oh, and rallying as well. Some rallying. He did the uh, Arctic Lapland rally at the weekend in a Ford Fiesta. How did he do? He did quite well, apparently. He, was, he impressed the people involved. But I have no idea that what the quality of the Arctic Lapland rally was. And given the fact that there was a world rally on at the same time, I'm guessing not the top level. He finished fifth. season doesn't it in a lot of things uh what else was different about Valtteri Bottas while he was rallying oh uh he had a haircut uh on the right lines uh, oh okay it's a tattoo it's a tattoo he had a beard oh well they, they can tell you he's not racing for McLaren can't he that wouldn't be allowed well Ron's McLaren anyway yeah I think I think Zach's uh, more open to facial hair Uh, yeah, I mean the question really is, I mean, you know, um, yeah, we saw sort of Vettel toying with the, toying with the beard on and off throughout the season. I must admit, I didn't do an analysis to find out whether he got his better results with a beard, made his mistakes without a beard, what the facial hair to point result was, because he was he was all levels of shaving during the season, Vettel. Uh, they were very impressed with uh, Bottas anyway, and. Uh... Uh, it's possible that he might go and do some more rallying at uh, some point. Yeah, it's uh, not always worked out that well for people rallying F1 drivers. It? No. You know, it didn't work out well for Kibitza. Raikkonen literally fell off the track at every available opportunity. <laughs> and uh, Robert Kibitza is where we're going next. Uh, because he's already talking down his season. <laughs> well, he is at Williams. Uh, saying that... Uh, it will be uh, very difficult to remain in Formula One beyond the end of uh, 2019. Really? Why is he saying that? What's, what, why, why is he thinking he's not going to be able to do it for another year? Is that when the money runs out from his sponsors? Uh, he, he said, uh, the eight-year break certainly doesn't help me, but I have experience and I'm aware that I used to drive at a high level. Uh, I set realistic goals for myself in the coming months and I'm sure I'll be able to reach them. If I didn't feel prepared, I wouldn't work on my F1 comeback. Uh, my goal is not only to enter F1 again, but to remain there. But this is a difficult task. There were many excellent drivers who left Formula 1 after a single season. Can't think of many excellent drivers. No. You need to approach it realistically. I hope the team drew conclusions and this year's car will be better than last year's. I think there's a pretty damn damn good chance it would be better. doesn't mean it should be good, but that last year's car was just... I said it was team awful Williams. Um, but he's up against George Russell, and George is obviously uh, looking like the real deal, but obviously in his first year. He's in his sort of second coming first year, but he's obviously got some experience. Um, it's going to be interesting what he can do. I think, you know, I can't see him, you know, going back to the, to the levels he was at in 2007, 2008. Um, but, you know, I've been proven wrong. I, I saw him in Mugello three years ago. I never thought he'd be able to drive an F1 car again. He's got, you know, through that and further that, and now he just has to prove what he can do. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it's down to success. It's down to money and, and, and all those things. Because uh, you, you guys had a chat about the wages. 
We did, yes. Well, in your absence, yes. Yes, yes, and and, and it was irritating because you're all getting it completely wrong. Because most of these drivers aren't actually paid by the teams. You know, like Kavita's getting no pounds, no pence from Williams. He's just getting, he's he's actually bringing money to the team and skimming some of that off for himself. Yes. So you know, the reason he's in the team is because he's managed to find. I think I don't know how much. I'm going to say eight million. I might be under or over eight million dollars from Polish sponsors, and that was enough to, to for Williams to give him the drive um, against the slightly more money from Sorokin, who's not as who they feel is not as good. Uh, what's Lewis Hamilton been doing to prepare for the new season? Uh, I saw videos of him surfing. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, no, although Ooh. he's wearing shorts. You cut out there. Oh, I said he is wearing shorts, but what else? Oh, is he okay. doing? oh. <laughs> well, that is a that is a question indeed. Uh, is he playing volleyball? Uh, no, he's is been he... playing golf. Really? Oh, that's disappointing. Oh, uh, as you mentioned, he's also doing surfing and yoga. Well, yeah, obviously, I can recommend the the, the yoga. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I know all about that. You know, I can, I can even offer him uh, the services of my. Well, it sounds a bit wrong, isn't it? The service of my wife, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, let's move on to some sports car news. Okay, uh, because. Uh, in the huh? European Le Mans series, we have a return uh, for some... Sender. Sorry, what did you say there? Has he returned to Sender? No, we have a we have a return for uh, the 2016 LMP3 champions. Yeah, again, I think I'm the wrong person to, to pick, up, pick that one up seamlessly from. Um, help me out. Uh, Mike Gouache and Christian England... Uh, will return to United Auto Sports for 2019. Uh, okay. After they won uh, alongside uh, a friend of the show, Alex Brundle, in 2016, uh, Christian England remained in the LMS, but uh, Gouache, uh went uh, went away uh, somewhere. He doesn't say where. <laughs> Could be anywhere. He went. It just went somewhere. No one knows where. Um, but he does feature in a new film, which we'll be talking about in the big interview in the second half of tonight's show. Gentleman Driver. The Gentleman Driver, indeed. We'll be talking to uh, uh, Tony Calderon, who's the uh, director of that film. Uh, so stay tuned and in about 35 minutes we'll be listening uh, to an interview with him Uh, Formula E Ah, they were in Santiago in Chile it was very early in the morning it was very hot They, they must have mentioned how hot it was Something like seventy times on the broadcast. Well, it and I'm not, was I'm not, I'm not, very hot. I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't uh, have done it. And I do reg- agree that actually the weather is a big thing, and we are as guilty. And by we, I mean myself, Joe, Bruce, and everyone else of uh, really moving to the weather to fill uh, elements of, of our broadcast. We, oh, it's bad hot. It's cr- but um, I think in a, in a forty in a, in a whole broadcast of an hour and a quarter, around twenty minutes, to mention it as much as they did was slightly over the top. Because um, it was quite had, an action-packed race, wasn't it, Nick? You see, this is really, really interesting. 
racing season and they keep telling fantastic races i i just see a lot of people who don't appear to know how to drive um because you shouldn't be forced into a mistake at the very low speeds these cars are going um realistically but the the races have been have been very much affected by accidents and the tracks being so thin and, and deliberately constricting that, that that's the design but i mean sebastian Boyle made a ridiculous mistake um to crash out of the, of the yeah. lead and there was some i mean on a much more positive note there was some good use of the of what it's called now the super mario Ball, or the super booster if it's called um both by pascal verline and sam bird on each other uh, during the uh, the second half of the race to make it more interesting but yeah i'm still i think i'm still waiting to see a uh, a race which I actually think hasn't been manufactured by having all the concrete and also by having idiots dive bombing to get past. It's, um, it is, I don't know whether you, whether you agree with this, Tim, but the racing standards remind me of touring cars five years ago, before British touring cars five years ago before the new rules came in. Hmm. Uh, it's called attack mode, by the way. And thank you very when, much. When you <laughs> give things names like that, then, uh, you're bound to get driving standards like that. Surely. I mean, I don't, do you agree? Do you agree that I'm, perhaps I'm being unfairly critical because I want to see a clean pass? But it seems that most of the passes are block passes or check passes or, or are done because you've got 35 horsepower or 35 kilowatts more than the other person. So, yeah, I, I can see. You know, but on, on such a narrow circuit. About, but even so. On such a narrow circuit, do they have a lot of choice in trying to pass cleanly? Well, there we go. That's track design again. I mean, uh, and, and perhaps that's what they're going for. You know, they're looking for the action. I mean, that's that. That is the. I mean, I think yeah, it is better without. I mean, it, it, as a racing spectacle, without the car swap, it is much better um, because you don't think, oh, this through, and the car the drivers are, are are looking a little bit more uh, in control of the situation as far as strategy is concerned. Um, but you do kind of end up thinking, why are you just throwing it down the inside and hoping for the best on a very low grip bit of circuit? Um, and it still, hasn't got over, it still hasn't got over the problem that Formula E has, which they build their tracks, uh, obviously, as tunnels of uh, concrete and barrier. So they all look the same. You, know, well, you get a wide shot and you realise you're somewhere different, but you don't know where. Um, but they, they, yeah, they, he's not... Yeah, Traditional circuits, you know, regardless of whether it's an F1 circuit or Le Mans or anything else, anyone who knows anything about them, well, we are, well, yeah, within three or four camera changes, we'll know which circuit we're at. It's one of the quite the fun things to do, isn't it? We randomly piece up a bit of motorsport on a channel in, you know, it's, uh, in the middle of night. Go, oh, where are we? Oh, that's Hungaroring. But these things, you couldn't tell them apart, unless you're very, very good with skylines. And that's not Nissan skylines, that's a skyline of, of cities. Um, because they all look the same, because the way it just is, is this tunnel of, of barrier. Um but yeah, I mean, the race itself wasn't too bad and they did seem to get a crowd for once, so well done then. Uh, who hasn't scored any points again? Uh, Gary Paffett. And his teammate Stoffel van Dorn. I missed what you said then. Gary Paffett and? And his teammate Stoffel van Dorn. Who else? Yes, well, Stoffel van Dorn obviously um, managed to break down in qualifying and in the race. And uh, it's not going well. There's HWA who are going to be Mercedes next year. They're great. You know, the, the, this, is, this is Mercedes coming to the whole thing. Uh, are um, pointless. Um, so you kind of think they obviously got something completely wrong. With... This is very much a learning year for HWA before... You kind of think, well, they've got two... Before they jump in as Mercedes, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's learning and just failing. 
Um, you know, I think Van Dorn, you know, he, he's had a lot of bad luck and well, generally the last three years had a lot of bad luck. Um, and I think it will uh, come to uh, fruition. He will, will improve soon. But um, you kind of think that there's there are some there are some requirements for them to sit down and work out why it's all going so wrong. Uh, Sam Bird's win puts him top of the championship. He has 43 points ahead of Jerome D'Ambrosio and Antonio Felix de Costa is third. Uh, now... Yeah, it was, it, was, it, sorry, sorry, it, was, it was a good um, race for topsy-turvying, which is obviously isn't actually a word, because the established leaders all had um, a little bit of a mare, whereas the, um, the guys who were sort of in Division 2 all did pretty well. So you now have a very tight collection. You John Derek Verne had another nightmare. Jerome D'Ambrosio didn't do much. There were a lot of 47-minute race. A lot of them were for mechanicals. Yes. So uh, that was a surprise. We're going to move on, and I know you're not going to like this, but we're going to move on to the World Rally Championship. I'm going to need to look, look at a different internet page then, because I have no... <laughs> I don't dislike the World Rally Championship, I just dislike what it's become. There we are. Uh, so the uh, opening round of the 2019 World Rally Championship was the Monte Carlo Rally at the weekend. Did you see any of it? No, but I did see a lot of people excitedly reporting about it on Twitter, saying there was only like 0.4 of a second between the first and second uh, guys on the on the last stage. And even I didn't watch it. And even at the end of the three days there was only 2.2 seconds between the winner Sebastian Ogier and second place Thierry Nerville which is the closest Monte Carlo rally finish in history okay it's also a significant win for Citroen they've won before Yes, but this is the 100th uh, Citroen um, World Rally win. I see. Uh, I Hyundai was second. We are, I can say that as well. <laughs> yes, and Toyota was third with a Tanak. And uh, Sebastian Loeb was fourth. He's still got it, though he's not that high up in the championship overall yet. <laughs> well, there's only been one rally. Yoi uh, Matilatvula finished fifth. Uh, and Chris Meek was in sixth. So Toyota got three out of the top six. So that's a pretty good uh, performance, really, isn't it? Uh, but they didn't get the first two, though. Um, I'm slightly confused about this. Okay, help me out, because I'm looking on... Yeah. I'm on the World Championship, is it? Sorry, so that's again. Well, how come um, Sebastian Loeb finished... He's fifth overall. Uh, he was fourth overall. Yes, but he's fifth overall in the point standing. Ah, uh, that's down to bonus points from the um, power stage, isn't it? Must be. There's Chris Meeks in fourth. He's now finished sixth. Uh, the next round of WRC starts on Valentine's Day. Oh, how romantic. In Sweden. Right. Uh, we've got some IndyCar news today. Oh, is that Connor Daly? It is. Uh, Connor Daly, who uh, has not had the best last few years in terms of trying to find somewhere to race. Uh, but this year, he uh, has confirmed today that he will be at the Indianapolis 500 uh, as part of an all-American five-car 
Andretti Autosport uh, lineup. Uh, well, earlier on, uh, Michael Andretti explained why he wanted Connor as part of his team. Yeah, we're we're really excited about it. Um, you know, we've been working for quite a few years to try to figure out how we can get Connor into our family, and uh, you know, we we highly rate him as a driver. We think Connor will fit in here perfectly with uh, with all our other all his other teammates that he's going to have. Um, so um, you know, we started working on this a while ago, and and I'm just so excited we've been able to to get it together and and uh, and then to bring Air Force on as well, the U.S. Air Force, which is really really exciting. Um, I think we have something unique. I think uh, having five American drivers in the same team at the Indianapolis 500, I think, is uh, is something that's really exciting. It's great to have uh, the U.S. Air Force be a part of it, and uh, you know we're 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 really excited about it. We think Connor's going to do a great job for us, and uh, you know have a real shot at, at the win. Well, as Michael said there, uh, the car will be sponsored by the US Air Force, uh, which was a sponsor for Connor last year. Uh, the other four Andretti cars will be uh, driven by Marco Andretti, Alex Rossi, Ryan hunter Ray, and Zach Veach. And it's Daly's sixth attempt to uh, compete in the... Uh, in the Indy 500 uh, in the same press conference that Michael spoke uh, he was asked whether he was excited about the prospect uh, and also about his teammates and in particular uh, Alex Rossi with whom he shares a flat it's, it's a fantastic opportunity I think there's no doubt to uh, you know, no one doubts the fact that Andretti has had so much success, success at the track, at the event at the, you know, the whole season in general um, you know, I've got two Indy 500 champions as teammates um, and just an incredible wealth of experience. So it, it's going to be awesome. Certainly my best shot at the race ever. Um, the car is going to look stupendous. The team is, is going to do an incredible job. And uh, and I can't wait to, you know, just to get to work. That's that's the thing. Is it's going to be hard to uh, count down the days, but May will be here in no time for sure. Uh, obviously, depending on, on how it all goes, hopefully it goes incredibly well. Certainly, if we win, um, I, there's no way I'm getting out of that car, uh, and I'm probably going to just sit in there for hours, uh, maybe days. Um, but, but yeah, it's 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 certainly going to be an incredible opportunity. I mean, I, these guys. I mean, I've known so many of these guys in this team. I just walked around the shop yesterday, and uh, and I've literally tried to hang out with them so much because obviously Alex is one of my best friends, and I just kind of hang around him more often than not. People know that. I just, I've lived at his house. Um, so, so I, I sneak into their hospitality all the time. They give me free waters, uh, which has always been nice. So now, uh, now I'll feel less bad about, uh, about eating there and, and having all the nice beverages. Over the last, you know, 18 months, uh, you know, since the end of the 2017 season, uh, you know, I've been in, you know, a couple of different cars, a couple of different situations. Um, you know, I've been in, in an ass car as well. So it's been, always sort of thrust it thrust into the deep end um and and just basically uh, i've i've had to try and just do whatever i could do at a last minute type situation and and uh and and i'm used to that um but the indy 500 is a little bit different so you know last last year you know we missed the first day of practice it was it was definitely a bit of a hectic um situation and i think now uh, you know showing up to indy with probably, you know, a lot of information already, you know, that I've been able to study, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and be at obviously every race with the team to, to see how it all works. Uh, so I, I think this, this sort of situation I'll, I'll feel more comfortable in. Uh, you know, I've, 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 I've matured as a driver, I think now, and, and, and I feel, uh, ready to just take advantage of, of each day, one day at a time. I mean, I, you know, we're not going to win the race in the first three days. We obviously know that, and then not even in qualifying. So, um, I, I think it'll just be a great situation for, for my brain, really, because um, I won't be thinking, you know, last year, heck, I was just trying to survive and, and, and make the race and take all the wing out that we possibly could and just see what happened. Um, and I, th- I think it'll be a different situation this year, and, uh, and I, it's, just, it, it, it's just, it makes me feel happy. I'm just a happier person, that's for sure. You know what's funny is Alex and I, you know, we we grew up, we, you know, we're the same age and we grew up racing um, at the same time, but we never really raced against each other. Uh, he did Formula BMW, I did Skip Barber. You know, he went to Europe early, then I came, but he, I got to GP3 after him, so we never actually raced against each other until we got into GP2, um, and and he was sort of on his way out to Formula One, and I was, I was just, I had no idea where I was going to go, uh, and then sure enough. Um, you know, we ended up being rookies in IndyCar together, and 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 it, it's been pretty cool to uh, you know to see his success. He's he's done such an incredible job with you know with the Andretti Autosport team, um, and and yeah, to be teammates with him. Honestly, I just can't wait to see his data and see what he drives like, see what see what it's all about, because uh, he obviously knows his way around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, um, and 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 basically so do all the other drivers at Andretti. So it, it's going to be cool to to at least just have a look at that and just start learning from the guys, and hopefully we can all. Uh, have an incredible month. Connor Daly there. Uh, let's take a look at some of your tweets. Uh, Rob Jayner is listening live tonight. He says, uh, great coverage at the weekend. First time he's been listening live for a while. Uh, John McCarthy, he's also listening live. Andy Napier, apologies for absence. Important football and curry happening. Oh, uh, won't uh, mention that. Uh, Alexander Orkin, uh, no apologies for absence today. Uh, some shush developments that will evolve soon. Uh, look forward to hearing about those. Uh, who else have we got? Lounsey's now retired car. Obviously, Lounsey's uh, now retired car will definitely not be absent today. Um, Cliff Norris is listening. Uh, Carol Brink would like uh, to know the lottery numbers in the future. Uh, Yoda's uncle is listening. David Tubruz is listening live. Uh, Velo Suds is. Uh, we have a brand new live listener, Slow Pass. Uh, first time listening live tonight. Uh, lots of people were referencing the fact that it was very wet at uh, Daytona at the weekend. Uh, did you watch any of that race, Nick? Yeah, I was quite love it actually um, sad to watch it was the last hour and a half um so i saw a lot of parked up cars uh that's good though because i got to listen to the boys filling and that's always fun uh indeed uh one of the uh things you may have seen there mm-hmm. was uh the porsche in the brumos colors I did. It looked really good. Very nice indeed. I mean, it, it, I'm, I mean, we've been a little bit over overindulged with retro liveries recently. It's almost like I'm sure Andy Blackmore wouldn't agree, but everyone's run out of um, ideas for new liveries. But certainly, two or three of the ones at the uh, Rolex look fantastic, and certainly the, the Porsches were particularly attractive. Uh, well, we have a special program about that coming up uh, very soon here on RS One. 
Uh, in fact, actually, that show might be on RS2. I'll need to check that. Uh, but it'll be on somewhere, and we'll tell you more about it nearer the time. But I have a little extract uh, from that show to play now. Uh, and this is John Heintoff talking with uh, two legends, uh, Dan Davis and Hurley Haywood. Dan, how does it feel for you looking out over the racetrack this weekend and seeing two works Porsches with Brumos stripes on them? Well, I guess first I would have to say I can't thank Porsche enough for this honor for this team. Of course, Hurley, even though he's younger than I am, has been involved with this a lot longer than I have. But uh, it means so much to what we call the Brumos family. And uh, it's a tremendous recognition for all the men and women that have worked so hard to, you know, accomplish what Peter and Hurley and, and all of our teams have done over the years. So it's a tremendous honor for us. It's, uh, it, was, uh, it was almost a little, almost brought a tear to my eye the other morning when they unveiled the two cars. That was very, very special. But it's a, it's a wonderful honor for us, and, and uh, we can't thank Porsche enough. And the fans have been terrific, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a fantastic weekend. Hope the weather will continue like this. Yeah, we don't need any more of that wet stuff that we had earlier on. Not my fault. I may have flown in from England, but I came on Monday. It was nothing to do with me at all. Hurley, I spoke to you on Wednesday as the cars were were unveiled to to the world. Um, Let's go back in time a little bit to the early 1970s and and the formation of of Brumos Racing. Um, Peter Peter and yourself put it all together. What... What was the thinking behind it, and why Brumos? Brumos had been around as a dealership for for quite some time. Why was that fit so right? Well, you know, Peter bought uh, the dealership from from uh, Herbert Brundage in the mid mid sixties, and he owned the dealership, and he was racing sort of SCCA type racing. And then in sixty seven is when I came down to college and met Peter. And he, he and I became friends. He knew I wanted to start racing, so I hadn't turned 21 yet. I turned 21 in 1969, and he helped me order my first race car from, from uh, Porsche. And we went to the uh, six hours at Watkins Glen with a bootlegged FIA license from NASCAR, and... Uh, <laughs> The SCCA folks were really pissed. They didn't know. I, you know, I had no. I had one regional race under my belt, and uh, we turned. Uh, we turned out where we won the race. So uh, in the GT portion, beat all the Corning fiberglass Corvettes, and I was like on cloud nine. And then I got the uh, draft notice from from uh, the army, and I was on an airplane going to Vietnam uh, in October. So when I came back, Peter and I started racing again in 1971 together. We won the first IMSA race at VIR. And the whole sort of heritage of Brumo started uh, from the racing standpoint. Uh, All of our cars were painted orange because that was Professor Porsche's favorite color, and and Peter wanted to honor the professor. So our first cars were orange. And then... Bob Snodgrass, who was hired by Bob Snodgrass in 1972, and Bob became partners with Dan in the dealership, and um, 
Bob convinced Peter that uh, orange cars do not photograph well in black and white photos. And so most of the pho photography back in that day was, was black and white. So they came up with the paint scheme, and uh, we put it on our car for uh, the 73 race. We, we got two identical cars, one for Peter and one for Roger Penske. And Roger Penske had Mark Donahue and George Formal driving, and Peter and myself drove our car. And that was the first um, time that a, a Brumos-livered car like that with the red, white, and blue stripes uh, were, were seen, and we beat all the odds and won the race. So we started something, then we backed it up by winning Sebring. So that was a good start. And after that, of course, races being superstitious, you'd never wanted to change back to, to any of the colours. You, you hinted on it there, Hurley. Brumos, where does the origin of Brumos, the name, come from, from the dealership? The, the Brumos was the telex uh, address for Brundage Motors. And Peter liked the way that sounded, so he, he actually asked the Brundage family if he could use that as a dealership name. The dealership at that point when Peter bought it was, was Brundage Motors, not Brumos. But Brumos was a cable address for, for Brundage Motors. And uh, the Brundage said, yes, you can have that. And uh, it's been Brumos ever since. Sort of a predecessor of Twitter handles and uh, social media, you see. They were right at the forefront. I, forefront I will say something that's kind of interesting, though. Everybody wants to know where the 59 came from. That was my next question. And if you go into the Heritage Center, uh, Kevin Jeanette has made a model of the Forester, which is an aircraft carrier. The aircraft, Peter, was a naval officer, and uh, he was flying out in a fixed-wing aircraft to the aircraft carrier to do some business out there. And as they were circling the aircraft carrier, Peter looked down on the nose and saw the 59 and the font of the 59. And he liked it so much, he said, okay, I'm going to take that as my number for my race car. So that's how that came about. Are we learning things today, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Um, hard question for either of you to ask. Maybe, Dan, you can, you can take this one to start with. Why, yeah, well, why do you think Brumos, the red, white and blue cars, the 59, why do you think that captured the imagination so much of, of a generation, more than a generation, of, of sports cars enthusiasts. Uh, you know, I'm of an age where I remember reading about the cars from the other side of the Atlantic with the black and white photographs. No coverage like we have, have nowadays. But there was something that struck a chord, wasn't there, with, with the sports car enthusiast? You know, I don't know uh, for a fact, but I think that, of course, we think of our flag as a red, white and blue. And I think there was some significance to that and probably comparison to that. And we were the American team uh, racing against a lot of European teams. Uh, but, you know, the, the performance of the team, Hurley and Peter and Jack Atkinson, who doesn't get a lot of credit, but Jack was the, uh, the, the original crew chief, and uh, he's the guy that gave... Peter and Hurley, the cars to drive that were winners. Um, but I think there was, a, there was a pride. Now, I grew up in Jacksonville, so I was always, for Brumos, it was the home team, you know, uh, long before I got to know Hurley. 
But I think it's a, I think it really was a pride thing that we also tried to, to build on within the, in, within the dealerships. And uh, our theory was always, you know, we wanted to, to do things well. We wanted our processes to be right, just like a, a race team would be, you know. And, uh, and normally you get good results that way. But I, I guess I would just have to say the performance of the team and maybe the likeness to the red, white, and blue. And not everybody has the same personality. If you look at Mr. Snodgrass, Bob Snodgrass, I was fortunate enough to know Bob and spent some very happy times with, with Bob and, and Hurley at the collection that you were kind enough to show me around with Charles Dressing a couple of times and various people we had with us. I mean, there was a man that the phrase larger than life was almost made for. But he was such an enthusiast for what was, was going on. He, he almost dragged you along with his enthusiasm, didn't he? Uh, we always talked about he, he, he bled red, white, and blue, and also Porsche. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, was a, he was a huge believer in Porsche and, and probably their number one fan. Um, but he was. He was larger than life. Uh, he cared a lot about people. Uh, he, he, he used to... <laughs> He used to say around the dealerships, "Fix it the most expensive way," which which I argued with a little bit. But what he what he really meant was do it right, you know. And uh, I think the same thing was, of course, done with the race team. But he was a great guy, and we're real sorry he's not still here. Oh, amen to that. Hurley, when did when did you and Peter realize that you you had something going here? When did the Brumos Racing snowball begin you realized it was beginning to gather momentum you had success very early on but that doesn't necessarily mean long-term stability and yet over what a couple of decades and more Brumos continued to race when did you how soon into the organization did you realize that well I was just kind of riding on the coattails of Peter um, we you know had one back-to-back championships in 71 and 72 in IMSA. And that was a big deal for for me because, you know, that was my first two years of pro racing. And then in 73, we won Daytona and backed that up by winning um, Sebring. So those two races really put Brumos in the uh, headlines on the international press. But one of the things, and Dan just uh, touched upon it, was the people that we had working for us and the image that we had as a racing team. For us, and for me personally, it's you guys that really make make our team. And we always had time for the fans. You know, we always, when somebody would come up and ask for an autograph, regardless of how busy we were, we always took time to have a conversation with that person and sign their, their hat. And I think people remember that. Um, I can remember, and many people come up now with pictures of their fathers with them as little little kids. You know, we took this picture in 1971 at Mid Ohio, and they've been fans that whole time. And so that, for me, that's what the really important thing is when you when when you have equipment that you can win races with and a team that you can win races with. The thing that people remember is not necessarily the races, but it's the 
experience they had dealing with the people that are on that team. And from, from the drivers, and we've had some of the best drivers in the world, all the way down to the, to the guy that carries the, the tires, to the tires changer, every one of those guys will go out of their way to accommodate the customer. And that's, what, and that's kind of the philosophy that we took with our dealership. And uh, it worked. The human stories sometimes are the best, aren't they? We, we get excited about motor cars. Everyone in this room will know that. We're all calling ourselves petrol heads or gear heads, aren't we? But ultimately, what endures is the personal stories, which is why it's great to talk to gentlemen like this, isn't it? Dan, looking, looking back then, is there a particular moment for you that, that sticks out in, in Brumos racing history where particularly in the years of your involvement, you've, you've gone, yes. Boy, that's, that's hard to say because there were a lot of them. Um, that's a nice, yeah. I mean, that's nice, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think of uh, Bob and I were two different kinds of people, and he focused on some, some, some things I didn't and vice versa. Uh, but I always used to... Uh, you know, appreciate the fact that he always wanted it done right and, and that kind of thing. So it was, you know, I don't think the crews get enough appreciation for what they do. And uh, the results at the track are, are not only the drivers, but really the preparation of the car and the things they go through. I, I had the pleasure, I brought Jack Atkinson down here uh, Wednesday for the unveiling. He's 85 years old now, still sharp as a tack. He can remember everything about it, every one of the cars. He says, the only thing I can't remember was the serial numbers, or the VIN numbers, we call them today. But he has a list of them that he's researched over the years. But, you know, things like, you know, he took a great deal of pride in, in what he brought to the team. And like the, the win in 73, uh, you hear a lot of stories about how you win, why you win, and so forth. But they were in the pits for 24 minutes in 24 hours. That's the way you win a race. Two legends there, and more on that uh, when uh, we have the uh, full Brumos story later on in the week. Can't, can't wait for that. It's brilliant. Uh we move from two legends to two wheels, and it's oh, been very the good. very final uh, pre-season test for World Superbikes. They've been at Portimao, and uh, Leon Haslam uh, says he's very happy to be fourth fastest, and just three-tenths of a second uh, slower than Alex Lowe's, who was second. Mm. Yes, but unfortunately, he was uh, 1.3 seconds slow than his teammate, Jonathan Ray, who um, was top of both days testing. Yeah, the reason, of course, it's the last uh, test session is that they start the season on the 22nd of February. Um, World Superbikes is traditionally the first of the, the big championships on two and four wheels to start its season, uh, World Championships, and they are in, will be in Phillip Island in less than a month. Uh, Johnny Ray, um, poor old Johnny Ray, unsurprisingly top both days. Um, Particularly quick in his second day, it's almost like he had a qualifying tire on. Uh, I'm concerned was that on on day two he was a second faster than anyone else. 
Mm, well, I think there'll be some concern, but my guess is he just picked up a, a new tyre at the right time. He was about four tenths faster on day one. Um, good news for Declan is that Alvaro Bautista is leading the charge for Ducati. He was faster than his teammate Chaz Davis on both days. And as you said, Alex Lowe's is looking stronger than Michael van der Mark, but only in, in testing. And of course, you never know what's really going on one way or other with testing. And the GRT Yamaha team were there for the first time. They're a new team. A uh, new team, yes, but Mark and Milan drew very, uh, very experienced. Old, yes. Well, obviously he, he has won. Well, he, he won the races of last year in, in a Mark and Milandry style, and he was either brilliant or didn't turn up. And he had a brilliant weekend to start with, and then didn't turn up very much. Um, hence, reason Chas Davis has picked up his has kept his role at uh, Ducati and been replaced by. Um, Marco's fellow fellow Italian Alvaro Bautista and that's the real thing whether Bautista on the new Ducati which must have quite a lot of overhead for uh, improvement can actually take the challenge to Jonathan Ray um, you know that is that is the big story I mean well, we have Tom Sykes the former world champion who left Kawasaki after finally sort of falling out with the Jonathan Ray more actually falling out more with Jonathan Ray's race engineer than anything else and Tom Sykes is with BMW who singularly failed to set the world on fire despite making probably the best superbike road bike um in the s1000 rr they haven't managed to crack the concept of superbike race bikes um tom sites were given more of a chance tom obviously is an excellent qualifier which is a good start and he is uh, his teammate marcus reiterberger though in the car in his bike was 2.3 seconds slower than john yeah and a whole second slower than sites was they're testing so you know it's it's yeah, so it, as things change, the more they stay the same. And, and, and Johnny Ray, who obviously started last year quite slowly, as we said, because of the changes to the rev limits and, and also some of the changes to the chassis on the Kawasaki, appears to be hitting the ground running. And this is going to be a massive problem. Um, more who obviously are starting this year and therefore have got to, to catch up as they go. Because so they, they certainly can't, you know, the all new Ducati Panigale V4R. They can't let them get away at the start. So Johnny Ray, um, at the moment, you know, he, he is looking even firmer a favourite to take make it five and on the spin. Midweek motorsport, half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Well, still to come on Midweek Motorsport tonight, we are going back to Bathurst, and John. And Richard Crowe will be wandering around the paddock and finding some interesting cars and maybe some interesting drivers to talk to as well as we preview our coverage this weekend of the Liquid Moly Bathurst 12 hours. That starts tomorrow. Uh, we also have the big interview coming up and that this week is with Tony Calderon who is talking about his new movie, The Gentleman Driver. It's all on Hour 2 of tonight's Midweek Motorsports Series 14, Episode 4. It's next. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com The big interview this week on Midweek Motorsport and our guest is Tony Calderon. Hello, Tony. How are you? I'm great, John. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to see you here. Uh, Tony has been working very hard for quite some time on a little project that's called... The Gentleman Drivers. Now, how? first of all, let's go back a little bit. People in the UK will have seen this. We've already had quite a bit of back and forth on Twitter with some of the collective who have seen this and have actually said how much they've enjoyed it. But take me back to the start of this project. 
Well, it all started in uh, Le Mans 2015. Um, I was there with um, Ricardo Gonzalez, who's one of the guys in the movie. And we were filming some promotional stuff for him. And uh, we realized that his situation, being a, a gentleman driver, basically a businessman that is racing at the 24 hours of Le Mans against some of the best drivers of the world, is pretty crazy. You know, we kind of take it for granted in the racing world. But when you tell somebody outside the racing world that these guys can do that, um, like you say in the movie, you know, you can own a NFL team or a football team, but you can't pay to be the quarterback at a Super Bowl. Correct. So we just thought, you know, hey, this would be a cool documentary for somebody to make. And uh, did uh, and that did, somebody ended up being you? Yeah, How did that yeah, that come was not about? the plan originally. <laughs> I, you know, I had a good. Um, I have nothing to do with the entertainment industry before this. I, I'm just a documentary nerd, and I watch I watch them all the time, and. Uh, I had a you know a vision like you know if if somebody made it I have a good idea of what it would look like basically, but we realized nobody's gonna make this unless uh, we do something about it and I have some really good friends uh, at the, in Austin uh, a company called Velvet Cartel who they're a production company and we just started looking into it you know what would it take you know what, what would it be about what, what would the budgets be what would the logistics be who would we follow and we come up with an idea uh, sort of a pseudo trailer or a pitch let's say thinking that it was just a crazy idea and seeing if we could find some investors to to be interested in it. And about three days later, you know, we had them, which was pretty really? crazy because we didn't expect that to happen. We did. So then be after careful that, what you wish for. Yeah, then exactly. We had to, then we you had, had to, to do it. We had to get serious about it. So we started filming at the WEC event in Austin in 2015. Right. And we finished filming at the WEC event in Austin in 2016. So we yeah. filmed for a full year at, in Bahrain, at Silverstone, Mexico, uh, that's just at the tracks, and then we followed these um, uh, businessmen at the, their businesses at home uh, all over the world as well. Some people take exception at the term gentleman driver. So how big a decision was it to use that as as the title? Some gentleman drivers. Yep. Uh, I, I like to use the words um, non-professional or perhaps less experienced in yes. some respects, and I don't mean that in a detrimental way, but gentleman driver does does stir some emotions in people. It, it does, but but only in the industry, you know, but we didn't want to make this movie for just the racing industry. We wanted to make it for a mainstream industry. And one of the important things I wanted to show is show that, you know, it doesn't have to be a bad connotation being a gentleman driver because it's actually quite difficult to do it. Sure, maybe uh, compared to a professional driver, you're not as fast, but also that's because you're at the office making money while they're, you know, go-karting or racing another series, something like mm-hmm. that. So we wanted to show both the, the good and the bad of being a gentleman driver but uh, and show how hard it is and the dedication that it takes. And, yeah, there's different levels. There might be some guys that, are, you know, just have no idea what they're doing and just showing up at a track with a Porsche or something. Uh, but, you know, if you're one of these four guys and you're racing an LMP2 car or a GT uh, Am car around Le Mans, it, you you've put a lot of time in it's so we try and to they show are very both competent drivers yeah. as well which comes across yes. in the movie in fairness you said you had this idea the treatment in your head how close did the finish article come to what you had envisioned or did the story take you in other ways yeah the the overall concept actually was was pretty close to what we had uh, we thought about it but honestly, I mean, you guys, everybody will have to watch the movie. But it 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 just it it ended up being much better than I ever expected. Uh, we got lucky with just you know things that happened during that year that we were filming that ended up being some very interesting stories. But also, I think we just found something that you know it was just a really cool 
behind the scenes story that nobody really knows about, you know, in the mainstream world. And we just never, I, I never expected there to be as much interest as there has been, basically. Mm. And that, that was a nice surprise. Uh, right. People who are listening, some people have already seen it, as I say, in the UK. Um, uh, stand by for the rest of the world, by the way. We'll talk about that uh, in in a moment or two. For me, some of the most interesting things, because obviously I'm on the racing side, was the stuff away from the track, the stuff in the boardroom, the stuff of the guys talking together. I thought there were some lovely insights there. Did Did that... Was that always going to be a part of it from you? Or did that sort of, again, did that become organic as you were going through it? Because the, the, when the guys were all together, I thought there were some of the, the really interesting moments. No, actually, I, that was not part of the original plan to get them all together like that. Uh, uh, you guys will see that there's a dinner scene, basically, that we have in the movie. No, it was because after, that was towards the end of filming. Actually, that was the last thing we, we filmed. We realized, you know, when these guys are at the track and everybody's just so stressed and, and they're nervous and and they're trying to be kind of politically correct to the camera and you know and they have that kind of like uh, that like you said they they're a little shy about being gentleman drivers so we got some interesting stuff from them but we thought if we can just get them loose you know mm-hmm. amongst themselves give them some wine and you know, have them loosen up and you know have a nice dinner together they'll actually talk to and, they, and then they can relate to each other because if you know if we're interviewing them like I said, it's, it's not the same but when they're talking to each other correct we yeah, I, I was very glad that we we decided to do that, and it just really. I thought that it, really it, worked. Yeah. I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but that the point that you made there about them having a commonality of experience, although they came from very different business backgrounds, they were talking each other's language, both in racing terms and in business terms. I thought that was really very interesting indeed. Tell me about the drivers that you chose and why you chose them. Yep, so the four guys in the movie are Ricardo Gonzalez, who was racing LMP2. Who you already had a relationship with. Yeah, I I was his manager for many years. That's what I do in my real job as a driver In the real world. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Ed Brown, who from many years was obviously CEO of Tequila Patron and uh, owner of ESM Patron. Paul Dallalana, who's still racing um, this weekend at Bathurst. Yeah. and was at Daytona, and you know he's a full-time driver in uh, Aston Martin. And then Mike Gouache, who um, also has been around for a long time, uh, LMP3 champion in Europe, and is actually, you guys will see him soon on track again. And we chose those guys, honestly, because they're they're just the top of the gentleman drivers, the real, true gentleman drivers out yeah. there. They're the real guys, not only on the, the racing side, but also, I mean, their, their business lives are incredible. What they've done, you know, uh, there's something that, that that you guys will learn when you watch the movie. You know, you, you learn. You know, these guys are not just some random rich guy. I mean, these guys are extremely intelligent, driven entrepreneurs that have grown their businesses from nothing, and it, it's it's just a really cool story to follow. What really stood out for me was I don't really understand how they find the time to go racing because they are absolutely immersed in their business. As you say, they're not just these rich guys who are playing at it. They've got a business to run, and they take their racing very seriously as well. And, and time management, successful business people have to have good time management, and that massively came across yeah, in the and, movie. Yeah, and that, that was one of the things that I thought, you know, like for people on the outside, it would be amazing. You know, I hope that a lot of entrepreneurs watch this movie and get inspired by, you know, if these guys can do it, they can do it as well. And yeah, it's they're just very talented, and they know how they they have they they know how to build a good team around them as well so they can just leave the office for a few days and and the the company doesn't collapse so 15 to 16 this was filmed we're now talking in 2019 is that the film business is that 
because you weren't editing all this time and going, oh, no, I'm going to put that back in. No, I'm going to take that bit out again. So why, why the long gap between finishing filming, doing final production, and then getting it out there? Well, that's that was one of the lessons I learned. <laughs> you know, I thought it would be done in a year and a half. And, I mean, basically, you could say it took about a year to film. It took about six months to digest all the footage, basically. After that, it took about another year to edit. Um, really? To, yeah, which, you know, basically, you, you we ended up with about 100 hours of footage. And then you got to wow. wind that down, that down to an hour 20, right? So you can make 100 different movies, right? So, you know, we had a couple of versions that came out first that weren't great. And I decided to sort of scrap them and go back. And, and what do you do with again. that? I mean, you've got the component parts. You've got the elements. Do you storyboard it? Do you write yourself a a development of how the movie's going to go through and then try and fit bits into it? Or do you take the bits that you've got and write the stories around that? Which we, sort we, of had a, we had an idea of how to structure it with certain sections and certain themes that we're going to have and also some of the races that we followed. And then after that, it was just finding sort of the story in between. And, and that's where, you know, I, I was lucky to have a really good production team and an excellent editor, uh, Justin Barclay is his name. And uh, he was really able to just kind of find the thread in between the story. But that wasn't not a first. You know, at first we had a we had a movie that was just ten little mini movies, but that made no sense uh, as a right. whole. You know, and then after that we started figuring out how to put it together. And then you finish that, and then you have another four months of scoring and sound mastering and color correcting. And then that was when the fun part started because then we had a finished movie. It was like. What do we do now? So then it took almost, <laughs> it's been almost a year now since I've been trying to figure out how to get people to watch it, basically. So luckily, uh, like I said, it's uh, we have a out as a test market in the UK on uh, iTunes and Amazon, and people can go to the, the gentlemandrivermovie.com and uh, get the links there. And tomorrow, um, I, can't this say, I can't say yet, but people around the world will be able to watch it and we're, we're very happy about it and if, if you guys follow us tomorrow you'll you'll get the news and you'll be able to so, to watch so if you go to the website which has been up and running for a while there's a trailer on there for a yes. start and if you're not in the UK and you haven't seen it in the test market yet so go there on Thursday um, see this is all very difficult for me because I'm in Australia and it's already Thursday when this pl- program is playing. So this is messing about with my mind massively. Um, so for those of you not in Australia, uh, go go to thegentlemandrivermovie.com. Okay. Or just follow us. Just look up Gentleman Driver on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we'll have all the information up there. And it's a it's big news tomorrow for the, the, the rest of the world. That's all we can say at the moment because there's an embargo on it, and we, we absolutely respect that, Tony. Um, what was the experience like for you? Something you want to repeat or something that you go, well, I've done it now. I don't need to do that again. You know, I, I've kind of gone back and forth. At, at first, it just seemed like a fun project. Then uh, after, you know, two and a half years and I've failed – rough draft and all that I I was not you know it wasn't very fun after a while but now now that the final movie is out and it came out and I'm really proud of it I'm really happy with it and obviously we've, we've had very good feedback um, I'm actually working on a potential project to turn this into a docu-series of some style so take the same concept this is a feature-length documentary but now obviously you know what's What's popular right now is obviously the uh, episodical series. So I'm working the, some primary steps to see if this is something we can do maybe in the 2020 season or something like that. So yeah, I, I kind of have the bug. I mean, it's it's interesting. And also, you know, to me, I mean, I mean, you've known each other for a long time. I mean, the racing business, that's my real job. I do all the, you know, the usual racing stuff on the management and strategy and marketing side. 
but that you know i'm just one of many but i really feel like this is something that i can really do special for the sport because like i tell everybody you know at worst I, I i hope that people some people watch this movie and at worst some teams will get new drivers and they will get some new guys into the sport and grow mm. the the sport around the world so if i can keep pushing that and help the industry a little bit you know that'd be great we, we talked about time management for the guys that you were filming to put in the movie, but your time management must have been quite interesting as well because this, and again, I, I, I'm not being at all um, uh, deprecating on, on this, but this wasn't your real job as you were doing this. No. You were still earning a living. You were still managing clients. You were still flying all over the world to races. During the time that it was being filmed, all right, you were already at some of those races, yep. so that kind of fit in. But in the production stage and finding distribution phase, you actually had, quote-unquote, real life to deal with as well. And that's a lot of traveling, as I, I very well know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and because it was sort of like a side, almost secret project that I had, you know, I just kind of had to be quiet. And sometimes even my business partners or my clients didn't know what I was doing, but I just had to find the time. Uh, it's been busy. My fiance is here. You know, she has to. She's had to deal with some of that as well. Behind every successful and man <laughs> is a driven and yeah. very, very clever woman. But um, you know, it was just once you get going. I mean, it was just such a cool project and mm. so passionate. And and because it was, it, you know, it's a small production, obviously, and you get to be involved with all aspects of it. Mm. I mean, that's good in some places, in, in, in some instances, because you. You get to touch everything, but in some other instances, if you're not doing something, nobody else is. <laughs> so even for you know, we have uh, we, we just uh, have our premiere today, and uh, even some basic stuff, you know, you, you just have to look up, uh, take care of it, take of details, and so yeah, it, it's been stressful at times and really fun at sometimes. I bet you now, when you're sitting on a plane watching a movie or a documentary, I bet you have a completely oh, yeah. different appreciation of what's gone into that. Do you look at that? Comp- has it spoiled watching movies and documentaries for you, or has it given you a, a new way to look at them? No, it's been really cool because, like I said, I've, I've just always been, especially the documentary Me too. nerd, and I watch some of the documentaries, and I'm like, how the hell do they do that? Yes. How did they get that? content or how do they get that footage or how do they know to film this because you know looking back over we had you know we would have done so many things differently and got all that but it's just especially with documentaries because you, there's no script there's no so you're almost just at the mercy you have to get as much as you can of anything and then see what you make out of it mm. i almost you know i think i would think it's probably easier i have no idea but i assume it's almost easier to make a movie a scripted movie because at least you have a plan and you know what you're trying to shoot yeah. whereas exactly. with a documentary the story can take a turn if you look back uh, i always think one of the the big turning points in sports documentaries, particularly in motorsports documentary, was Truth in 24. Absolutely. And the way the guys came in from NFL films and and put their mark on that, a completely different sport. For me, without that, you would never have got things like Senna or One or all of those things. It completely changed people's look at it. But I know, because we work very closely with those guys, that that was a very different end product to what they'd planned. And even when they were filming it, the story takes a turn because because you haven't got a script, because you can't go, okay, this is where you're going to make the overtake for the lead, guys. <laughs> Can we just shoot that bit again? Because that's not how it works when it's documentary, is it? Uh, no, no, not at all. And, uh, and you know, I, you, Senna is one of my favorite just films of all time. And Truth in 24 is was obviously, you know, just a huge benchmark. Uh, I had to tell a lot of people like no we're not trying to be the next truth in 24 because obviously Interesting. we um i didn't want to compete with that because i don't consider this a racing documentary exclusively 
I also don't consider it just a business documentary exclusively. What, what makes this unique, there's really nothing like it in the world. It's it's a documentary about businessmen that race. Yes. So you know, so we had to find that niche because yeah, so we can't pretend to go compete against Truth in Twenty Four. They had probably ten times the budget that we had, and obviously the access, and it wasn't about that. So, but we were able to uh, to find ways to make it look similar to that. And and I have to tell your your listeners. You are a big part of this documentary as well. You've been very shy. And honestly, we couldn't have done it without you because oh, you helped very, us. That's very kind. You helped us really connect a lot of the stories and a lot of the racing scenes and all that, which you guys, uh, it, was, it was a huge help. I really enjoyed being involved with it. Um, uh, we've done a few projects down through the years, uh, both as documentaries and, and, and dramas and other things. Um, I've, got, I've got my IMDB listing now for a, co- <laughs> for a couple of different things now. Um, but what really really struck me right from the very first time that you and I talked and and even before you put a camera in front of my face and and by the way it also charged the change in my look as well (laughs) down through when we started off I think I had a full beard didn't I when we we started off um was it the human side of it in motor racing we get all excited about technology about speed about race cars about the uppy down bits the oily turny roundy round bits and the noisy bits but ultimately it's the nut at the end of the steering wheel the human aspect mm-hmm. that draws it all together and we love human stories and in sports cars that unique element is that those four guys that you followed that could be any of us given the right amount of finance, given the right. the right amount of business acumen, they were effectively representing all of us. And, and I think that comes over really well. And I love that about when you were talking to me about it in the first place, that effectively, all right, they're not just guys off the street, but they represent us as fans, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's one of the things for sure from day one we wanted to be, because like I said, I want people that don't like racing to watch this and enjoy it, because it is it, racing is... Is one of the, is the, it's, what it's brings this sport together, yes. and, and one of the things we're following. But it's not about it. And I've been very happy with a lot of feedback we get. Actually, I think non-racing people like it even more than racing. Because, you know, obviously for the racing people, you know, we couldn't do what Truth in Twenty Four did, which is get no. down to the nitty gritty details of a race and all that, because you can only fit so many, you know, scenes into a, an hour twenty, right? Mm-hmm. So we we try to just keep it, you know, the basics. This is what you gotta know. I try because I'm a racer. I try to keep it as true as possible from the racing component. And was it hard to it. keep it down to an hour and twenty? That must be the thing. Is 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 what to leave out? Not necessarily what to put in, because as you said, with a hundred hours of of film of tape, then you could have made, you know, yeah. plenty of movies, plenty of episodes, but condensing it down to an hour and twenty is that the discipline that you've got to have? It was. It was hard at first, but once we sort of got into the mindset, like, look, we know you, we we love this scene because we were there and whatever, yeah. and we remember this, but nobody else knows that. And if it doesn't add to the story, that was, we had a, and like I say, luckily in that situation, it wasn't just me. I had my partners, uh, Bijou Fini and Bo Jackson at mm-hmm. Velvet Cartel, who we had a very, like, strict kind of rule. Like, th- you know, it was basically, does this add anything to the story? If we If we didn't know anything about this, would we care? And if we decided we didn't, we, then we just took it out, basically. So... It, it it was really more about um, how to which story to tell, yes. you know. And we, yeah, we had to leave some out. And um, but uh, I I'm really happy with where we, where we ended up with. I think it's brilliant. Um, I, I think you've done a really good job. Um, everybody who's seen it, who I've spoken to, including people who are very much involved in the racing world, people like Martin Short, who I have a lot of respect for, who had to raise money to go. 
and uh, a race himself to start with. He thought was a really interesting look at an area of racing that we all talk about but seldom see and certainly never get it explained and shown in the detail that you did. I think you should be very proud, Tony, you and the rest of the, the team. And will you let us know about the next project Absolutely. as well? Absolutely. Well, hopefully uh, you'll be a part of it as well. Well, so. it's a few years down the road, but oh, okay. The, <laughs> since, since you've, I've got to get that IMDB listing up. Remind everybody about the website again and go on there uh, and follow as well on uh, Instagram because the, the big news comes out tomorrow for the rest of the world. That's right. It's the gentlemandrivermovie.com and gentlemandrivermovie on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Well done, mate. Thank you so much, mate. Appreciate it. Tony Calder on there talking to John Heintoff earlier in the week. But now we can go back to John live in Bathurst uh, as he and uh, Richard Crail, I believe, is with you, John. Uh, you're going to have a walk around the paddock. All right. Hello, everybody. It's that time of year again. Mount Panorama, Bathurst, Hindy and Creelsey having a look around the pit lane. And actually, we're behind the pit lane for once rather than in front of it. And talking about a car that's here... And we'll run on the mountain, but not in competition yet, at least. This is the Brabham BT62. Our listeners know all about this car, but fantastic to have it here this weekend, Krilzy. Yeah, there's a real... Hi, by the way. Welcome, hello. Welcome, hello. Welcome back. Thanks um, for having us. There's a real Aussie synergy with Brabham at this place, and Sir Jack, of course, famous for World Championships, but he started the Bathurst 1000. Um, David and Jeff teamed up to win it in a super touring BMW, so they've got great heritage here. So it's the first time this car's ever been to Mount Panorama. Um, there's a lot of pride about this car in Australia because it carries... Yes, there should be. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be built in South Australia in my part of the woods, uh, developed at the Bend Motorsport Park, which is just an hour down the road from my place. Um, and it, it's the surname. It's the most iconic surname in Australian motor racing history. So to have it at the spiritual home of Aussie motorsport is great. I'm really keen to see how fast it goes. And word on the street is they've been given carte blanche to go and have a have a crack, oh, really? as they say, is, is my understanding, oh. um, that they're going to be able to go real quick. Might so, we have to be watching an unofficial stopwatch somewhere? Well, I, I doubt it would be an official lap record. But there'll be plenty of iPhones with the timing app up to see how fast I got they it. go. Yeah. I hear what you said. Uh, looking great in its uh, dark green with the uh, World Championship gold on it, carrying the number one as, as well. Right, let's uh, get into the pit lane and you can talk me through um, some of the key... Oh, well, first of all, Mark Cars. Well, you're talking about Aussie... Heritage, no more so than Mark yeah. Carson. Yeah? They're a great story, aren't they? And they made their debut here, what, 2013 it was now, your first race yeah, yeah. at Mount Panorama. And the amazing moment when you saw the gown and hind off L34 oh, for the first man. time with your name written on the uh, 75 Bathurst winner. Um, yeah, these things are great. And um, they've got four cars running this weekend, two of the Generation 2 Mark Cars entries, two of the Generation 1 cars. One of them, the blue car, is an awesome combo. 30-time IndyCar race winner and 2003 champion Paul Tracy making his Bathurst debut, and there's a lot and of he's in- never driven here before. Never. There's a lot of IndyCar fans in Australia, though. We had mm. 21 years of IndyCar racing on the Gold Coast. He's driving with Paul Morris, who's an amazing character and the only driver in the history of this place to win the three major enduros: mm. 1,000, the six-hour, and the 12-hour. So, really cool combination. Keith Kasulki, who we know well on this show, that. He's um, got an amazing story and rebounding from that amazing fire that he had and the recovery. Great to see him back. And and all he was working towards was getting back here. Correct. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And he's here now. So amazing stuff. Those cars are great. There's only four of them in their class this year, so that's less than last season. 
but that doesn't matter. They're going to have a great race amongst themselves and put on a uh, really good show. They're cool cars. They sound right. They look right. It's a V8 Bathurst. just ticks every box. Every single box ticks. And the Coupe versions, the Gen 2 cars, look absolutely great. Oh, yeah. You see, as we walk past the other two in the other garage... Is that is that one black, doesn't it? I was just about yeah. to say, is it coming out like that? Yeah, that's that's the number twenty um, Aaron Hargraves car. So, local search sponsorship on the side. It's, it's just flat black all over. That's going to be a it's, massive it's, fan favourite, rider, isn't it? That that is a massive fan favourite there. Right now, the other big story in amongst many big story, not the other, another big story in amongst many is the return of Nismore and Nissan. That's big enough, but. Chio Sun's back. Oh, yes, the hero. The hero of 2015 and then to almost 2016 when he was hunting Shane Van Gisbergen down at the end of the motor race. That was awesome. It, it's There's such a cult following for GTRs at this place from 91 and 92 and the 1000 with those amazing cars that, dub, that Godzilla, the term. That's where it created. came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's great to have them back. I love that car, 35, with Chio Sun. Um, Sugo Matsuda is a great Japanese driver. He's a double Super GT champion and Super Formula champion as well, so he can drive everything. Josh Burden, I knew Josh Burden when he was a little kid racing F3 cars, young guy from Tasmania whose grandmother was helping pay for his car racing out of her pocket money because he had no money. Amazing story, good young kid. Um, and obviously Imperatory, Jarvis and Liberati in the other car, that's a pretty... Ollie Jarvis doing the every race he possibly can in January and February because yes. he was at Dubai uh, with us. He's, he's just come back from smashing the record that was held for 20-odd years uh, at Daytona and now here as well. Now, this is the number six and there's some big names in here, but I've got to talk about the livery on this Lamborghini so for me so um, reminiscent of the BASF yeah. down through the years M1 BMW yes. that, it, and it even has a look over the shape of the car they're similar shape aren't they yeah. so whether it by design or by coincidence and knowing Wall Racing who are preparing the Lamborghini Hurricane I reckon it might have been a little bit of design involved there yeah great car red with the crazy psychedelic uh, white stripes and circles all over it. This is a good car. Uh, Adrian Dietz is the AM driver in this car. He owns it, runs it with Wall Racing. Cam McConville, Bathurst podium finisher. Tony Dalberto, Bathurst podium finisher. Drives a Roger Penske mm. in supercars, by the way. And Jules Westwood, who's making his debut here at Mount Panorama, British driver. Um, probably not outright, but pro-AM, sure. And, and podium in class, I think, would be a really good outcome for those guys. Now, Dean Cantor is back at the mountain as well, and that's good news for a good bloke. He's been trying to get back here for a, a wee while. Loads of experience in pretty much anything. He was driving the safety. He's been driving the safety cars yeah. here down through the years with his tie-up with AMG. But this is another Huracan. Yep, one of two in the race. Um, it's the first time we've never had a Gallardo in the field right. since 2012, actually. So the, the Gallardo's had a great history at this place, but... Hurricane's now the main Lambo in GT3. Um, Trofeo Motorsport, Jim Minoli is heading up this team. He's been here a couple of times. They've been in the top 10 mm-hmm. the last two years. And both times, we've got to the end of the race and gone, how did they get there? Yeah, Because we just don't see Stealthy. them. We don't see them during the day. And then they pop up in the 10 and get a really good finish. So, good combo. Sometimes it doesn't appear to, no, to be exactly. particularly spectacular. Exactly yeah. right. Um, Jim's just bought the Australian GT Championship. So he's now the boss man in Australian GT. So he's got a modus operandi to promote that this weekend. Dean Canto, uh, Ben Porter, Ivan Capelli. 
Yes, that Ivan Capelli. Ivan Capelli. Can I tell you a quick story about Ivan Capelli? Yes, Rocked up in Adelaide late last year at the Adelaide Motorsport Festival in the footwork, uh, not footwork, sorry, Leighton House March. Oh, but still LC88, like being uh, And reset the lap record at the Adelaide Motorsport Festival. Because he can't. It's very happy. Very happy, very happy. Very happy. Uh, another set of guys who have been doing a lot of travelling. Uh, Matthias Lauda, Pedro Lamy and Paul Delalana. We used to seeing them in Aston Martins in the WEC. They were racing in um, actually the same numbered car, the 51 car at the Rolex 24 Daytona. Didn't particularly go their way there. They'll be looking for a little bit more. Interesting, interesting trio this. And, and I think we're going to have to similarly keep an eye on these guys for just stealthing their way up through the field. Now, last year, they ran different cars at the Rolex and here. And they commented that, I think they drove an Audi last year, didn't they? And they commented that it was a massive challenge to get their head around the different driving style the R8 needed. So this year, they've engaged the services of AF Corsa to run a Ferrari 488, which is what they raced last weekend. Yeah. That makes sense, because that way you've just got to work out which way the track goes rather than <laughs> relearning the car as well. Seems reasonable. All right, we're in the pit lane at Mount Panorama at Bathurst for the Lutwin Molly, uh, 12 hours for 2019. Another Ferrari here, and, and more Virgin Australian supercars names that people will uh, recognise from the recent past, at least. And it seems to me that there's even more take-up from supercar stars, both current and relatively recently past. Yeah, Hub Auto Corsa joining the race for the first time. Great to see more teams from Asia coming down here. And it was another Ferrari team, Clearwater Racing, that set that benchmark when they first came in 2013. They finished on the podium twice. Awesome outfit. You don't like to call favourites on a Thursday, but this is a really strong combination and I'll say that for a couple of reasons Nick Foster's been driving with them for a season now in these cars in Blanc Pangetti Asia, race winner Tim Slade's been getting miles with them as well Nick Perkat has a great track record at this place, yeah, he knows this place. still one of the best laps in a Carrera Cup car I've ever seen in my life Nick Perkat, he's a superstar so um, that's a really good combo and Ferrari, 2017 winners, Ooh. that car's not strong anywhere at this place, it's strong everywhere, everywhere. So, yeah, I, I really like Hub Auto. They're a good race team. When we talked about headlines earlier on, I said there was plenty of them. Bentley are back. That's a big headline. First time, of course, we've seen the new generation yeah. of Continental because of the vagaries of how homologation works here. It wasn't eligible last year when it was getting ready to go and race and, and make its debut um, everywhere else in the world. Andy Suchek, Maxime Sulin, Vincent Abril in the 108, and the 107, Stephen Kane, Gilles Gounon, and Jordan Pepper. Not seven and eight. Does that suggest that the, the numbering system has been changed here? No, I, I think it was by choice. I, I, I don't understand. It, there was no 100 criteria for them right. to be that. So um, what I like about Bentley this year, new car aside, but they've had 12 months of development on it, haven't they? So they know the car. First time it's been here. Five of their six drivers, though, have been here for three years now. Um, so Jordan Pepper's the new one, but he's a gun. We all know how good he is. So uh, they're great. Bentley, they're always fast. They, they want to win here. Nothing but a win for them this year. Malcolm Wilson is on record as saying with everything he's achieved in the sport, he wants to win Spa and he wants to win Bathurst. And they've got a real good chance this weekend. And again, that will be an, another team and a pair of cars that will be fan favourites. Let's move on to some of the Class B runners. Always good competition in Class B. Uh, the four is Stephen Grove, Brendan Grove and Ben Barker. Um, well, Porsche aficionados will know all of their names. 
yeah, uh, three-time class winners of this race. And gridded right next to them is the Ash Seawood Motorsport number 43 that are very keen to usurp the Grove team for bragging rights in Class B. And with Danny Studded, Sam Fillmore and Richard Musket, who's a very good driver, jumping in. The third car in Class B is an all-Asian outfit with drivers from all corners of the world, Team Carrera Cup Asia. This is a great program, and this is what one make Porsche racing is best at doing. So they've grabbed the overall champion, Chris Vanderdrift. They've grabbed the Pro-Am champion, Bao Jinglong, Chinese driver. They've grabbed the young star, the young professional, Philip Humprecht, who's a terrific young star from Germany. And Paul Tresseter, the Aussies, pulled it all together. What a great ad for Carrera Cup Asia. Four of your drivers in a cup car at Mount Panorama. If there's a reason to go and do that championship, and that's your prize, it's pretty good, right? Vanderdrift, by the way, has won three Carrera Cup Asia championships. And I don't care what Carrera Cup it is. If you win more than one, you're a superstar. He's just done a deal to race Blanc Pan Asia as well. He is one of the most underrated Kiwi drivers amongst many in the world. So he's going to be good. Right, we haven't talked about any AMGs yet which is handy because we've just stumbled across the 75. Kenny Abul, who we know from IMSA, of course, uh, so it has to be the 75. The Sun Energy racing car looks exactly as it has done in the past when we've seen it racing in IMSA, and very distinctive it is. He's teamed up with Thomas Jaeger, who is almost Mr. AMG, isn't he, around the world. And Dominic Bauman is a late change in this. Tristan Vautier was down to drive this car, but yeah, a late change early in the week, and Dominic got the call up. We don't really know the reason. We haven't been publicly told why, but something internal has, has gone on there, and they've decided to make a change. It doesn't, for me, change the strength of that combination. Not at all. Finished second last year. Jamie Winkup was part of that squad. They won the Pro-Am class last year. Kenny, of course, went on to win the Bronze Drivers Intercontinental GT Challenge Series. So, good combination. They're paired up with Scott Taylor Motorsport. He's running three AMGs this weekend, all three of them for different organisations. And the next one... Well, this is just ridiculous. This next one is ridiculous because, quite frankly, I mean, in some respects, if racing was done on paper, you might as well just hand these three the trophy right now. Triple eight, the number triple eight... And it is triple eight. And Lowndes, Van Gisbergen and Wincup together in a, an unholy trinity in some respects. It's um, amazing that this happens. Seriously, if you're a, a fan of Australian touring car racing, this is extraordinary. There are 250 Australian touring car championship or supercars race wins in that one car. 15 Bathurst victories. And the list goes on and on and on. 12-hour victories for all three drivers. Winkup and Lowndes in 17, Lowndes in 14, Van Gisbergen in the McLaren. It's extraordinary. Triple Eight have come here in full force with their supercar team. Their supercar engineers are going to help run the car with Scott Taylor Motorsport. It's an extraordinary combination. I'm prone to hyperbole every now and then, John, as you know. But this is, I think, the best driving combination ever assembled for an Australian endurance race. Yeah. I don't know how you can argue with that, with the credentials of the three drivers in that car. It's a, as fact as you can get for an opinion like that. It's extraordinary. Does it, does it speak, Creelsey, as to how far this event has come in a relatively short space of time? What, under a decade, mm. really? But does it speak to this, ev- to this event's credentials, both here in Australia and, indeed, on a global scale, that Triple Eight, that Vodafone and Lowndes, Van Gisbergen and Wincup come together in an, 
And it's not just that they are here. It is, I mean, I'm already looking at it. They've painted the garage out. The yeah. garage has been painted out already. They've got all the backboards up. This, yeah. this is this is not a pretend it's, effort. This is full on. It's such a triple eight thing to do is paint the garage. Of course it is. Or it's like McLaren back in the old days of Formula One. Um, yeah, it's it, it speaks to the volume of the growth of the event, absolutely. But when Lowndes won his first 12 round 14, he needed a gentleman driver to pay for it to run. Pete Edwards, who mm-hmm. drove the Maranello Ferrari. This is a fully commercially backed operation. Roland Dane doesn't go motor racing unless it's backed. And that's absolutely Well, clear. that tells you everything you need to know about the event now, yeah. that the, the, the coverage yeah. and the status of the event is good enough to yeah. get a return on investment from a, a commercial sponsor. Yeah. The, I don't think they're favourites, believe it or not. <laughs> I, I know, that sounds ridiculous. But the AMG GT3 has not got a great track record. They've been on the podium, True. but in raw speed, if it comes out to an elbows-out bash fest in the last 30 minutes... Surely not. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're fast enough, and we don't know what the BRP is going to be like. Okay. Um, great to see David Reynolds back again. Uh, this is the Triple Seven, and this is another AMG, another distinctive paint scheme. It's sort of a bumblebee kind of colour with the uh, the black and the yellow. Proudly um, with the Bend Motorsport Park on there, and fantastic news that uh, the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, heading to the bend as well, which we covered on Midweek Motorsport what, a couple of weeks ago when Cyril uh, Teshville and, uh, came on the show to, to reveal that. Um, I mean, that's a tidy, this, that's a t- it's a tidy entry. It's yeah. got some names. Pro-Am contenders. Got to be. If they stay on the lead lap and you put David Reynolds in for the last stint, they win the race. It's, or could, could win the race. Very good combination. Yasser Shahin is as fast as any AM driver out there. Yasser's involved in the Bend Motorsport Park, one of the the two gentlemen that helped build the racetrack, so he's a very, very good driver. And Erebus as well. Yeah, and that's probably the other point. 2013 winners of this race, great to have them back. Since they won this race, they've gone on to win the 1000 in October. They're now legitimate contenders in supercar racing, which is an awesome story. Um, and they bought their 2017-1000 winning combo and Yildon and Reynolds to drive this car. Remember, Yasser Sheen's car qualified fourth last year, yeah, Lamborghini. Yeah, yeah. Like Yildon drive. Oh, yeah, good point. Right, Class C. Always get some interest in in Class C. And we've got a couple of uh, very pretty Janettas sitting here um, in pristine white. Look like they've just been delivered from Yorkshire in, into here. Uh, the 55, two-driver combination here as it stands at the moment. Yeah, one to come. Uh, Jimmy Vernon, who's a Porsche GT3 Cup racer in Australia, very handy driver. Um, Brad Schumacher, Bathurst's finest, will be driving this car. Um, they've scaled back to one car, just uh, couldn't get the second car ready in time. On the upside, I suppose, they've got a spare parts car. Spares on the they hoof. Yeah, absolutely. So, If only the dust. No, I could have brought my helmet. Yeah, well, you could have. I've driven There's one of these. I haven't signed a third driver yet. JP and I can cover you. You've only got to do like 240 for a stint. Two hours, uh, 240 minutes is, is your stint for a three-driver combination. I've driven one of these. I've so driven you can still do nine hours in the commentary box. Oh, thanks. I have to go We've and speak got... to Cams to get me my <laughs> licence pushed through. Um, Mark Griffiths, Yelma Berman and Christina Nielsen added to the number 19 AMG squad. Christina, just on the flight from uh, from uh, Daytona as well a couple of days ago and added to this squad relatively recently. I've talked to her and she's talked to her a lot about this when we were in Daytona. Uh, we were sitting on our hands because we couldn't talk about this. She's ridiculously excited yeah, about coming in. It's a great story and we're thrilled to have her, someone of her calibre, here. It's a good combination, isn't it? Yelma Ims a champion a yeah. uh, couple of years ago and 
you know, I mean, just she's got a great double. Jim's a champion, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Berman, obviously, he's got a great track record. He's smart. Properly quick. Um, that's what we like here, though, isn't it? How many of those have we had over oh, the years? Oh, it's got to be. What's the team? Um, Tell me a little about Griffith. Yeah, Mark Griffith. Yeah, well, he's been in this race for six years now. This is six year running. Uh, class C cars as well, uh, Class B and now Class A. So he ran that car last year. David Reynolds actually drove with him in that car last year. So um, good team. I love that he's gone and got two great international co-drivers. It just adds so much to the fabric of the event, which is fantastic. Uh, this, this car. Craft Bamboo with the Black Falcon livery on the car as well. 77. Hang on, are, are we ever going to see a car where we go, oh, we can go past that one? Because we can't with Mar- Maro Enger, Lucas Stoltz. Luca again, was at Daytona on the weekend. And Gary Puffett works Mercedes DTM drive. This is why I look at the Vodafone car and go, well, that's epic. But, I mean, this, this combination. And there's another one we'll get to. But And Craft right. and, and Bamboo. So this is their first race as a Mercedes-AMG customer team they were Porsche before that they were Aston Martin yeah. finished on the podium the big buff and bash of Stefan Mucker down in the final corner um, this is a very very strong combination um, Ryan Madison who was formerly of Erebus Motorsports helped put this together and oh, okay. uh, brought these combinations together with his role at Black Falcon which is a team that's also been here in their own right so this is this is a really good combination it's cool to have Gary Paffett here as a DTM fan, and I saw him race at Brands Hatch last year, actually, in DTM as part of him going to win the championship. So that's a good combo. Nice to have him here as the reigning DTM champion. Well, we've talked about some big manufacturers. There's none bigger than the four rings of Audi here. Defending champions, of course, from last year. And by, didn't they enjoy that? Um, Matthew Neil, would that be one tall, lanky West Midlander who does wheels for a living and is a British touring car driver because he knows his way around here? I mean, how do you not doing things by halves either? No, but do they ever? No, no. never have done here. Actually, do you know what? I dare say, with due respect to all the other manufacturers, when Audi first came here, they raised the bar, didn't they? When they pulled in with those trucks, it just it just made everybody sit up and take notice. I wrote a feature for a local magazine, Auto Action, last week. And they asked me to recap how this event had got to where it is, especially that transfer from production cars to GT in 2011. And I cited Audi as part of the reason why we're here, because without their early investment, I don't think the other brands would have taken as much notice. It was a huge gamble, and they backed it. Um, This is a good car pro-amp. Pete Story has raced here with Gordon Shedden before in a motion sport, Aston Martin, a couple of years ago. Matt Neal, second in the Bathurst 1000, two-litre car with Stephen Richards as co-driver, Nissan Primera. He's been here. He knows the place. I like it. I'm a, I love the BTCC, Hindy, as you know. So to have two triple champions in this field is pretty cool. It's something else you and I have in common, isn't it? But then, of course, you walk next door, and like, okay, the international audience might, know, might not know some of these names, but Lee Holdsworth, Dean Fiore, Marcini, I mean... Come on. I mean, those guys know their way around here. Backwards, yeah. forwards, daytime, nighttime, yep. want a hand over their eyes. Another great Pro-Am combination. Good to see Mark's back as well. He's a great character, Mark, and his wife, Kerry, uh, race career cup cars, which is brilliant. So good to see them in the Audi. And then the two factory cars, and we say, quote the factory cars. These are the Audi sport entries for the Intercontinental GT Challenge. Throw a blanket over the two of them as to which one's going to be the best. I don't know. I don't think they know. They're both unbelievably good cars, 2 and 22. 2 is probably the pick, though, with the three Germans they've got. Chris Mies, double winner of this race. Fastest ever person officially around Mount Panorama. And that's a big thing, as you know. Uh, Christopher Haase and Marcus Finkelhock, awesome 
awesome combination. Yeah, but you can't, I mean, go to the other side of the garage in the 22, Calvin von der Linde, Garth Tander, yes, Garth Tander, <laughs> and Fred Vervish. Actually, Fred Vervish, perennially for me, under underrated by people he does a great job and he's got two really good teammates here there's not a number one and a number two car here no absolutely not and um garth tander i think he doesn't have something to prove because garth has nothing to prove but well documented that he's out of a full-time ride in supercars was out for a day and immediately signed to be Shane's co-driver in the enduros at triple eight so pretty good co-driver wasn't even 24 hours no, was it wasn't it was amazing um but he wants to do more GT racing now. He's got a free calendar until September. So this is a great opportunity for him to again show why he is one of the best drivers this country's produced in any car. And what hasn't been recognised, Chris Meese got all the headlines that weekend in November and he did the 59-2, fastest ever official lap at this place. Garth Tander's the second fastest ever person around here. He did a 2-minute 0-0.2. So had... Chris Meese not done that incredible lap at the end of the day when they DBOP'd his car. Garth Tander might be the fastest ever person around this place, so he can drive a GT3 car. He will be so good. Are we conditions, if conditions play along, how close do you think we'll be in qualifying well, when we do the shootout to, to a two-minute lap? I don't want to kill, be a killjoy. I don't think they will because for two reasons. One, the laps those guys did here in November were without balance of performance on the car. So all the weight went out, the restrictors came off, so it was probably 50 kilos lighter, breathing better, had more grunt. And the other variable for me is we've got a brand new Pirelli this weekend, which is a hard compound Pirelli tyre. So there's no soft tyres to go on the cars. That's a durability thing, and this place is hard on rubber. That's fine. Um, so will we get a sexy two zero zero number? Maybe Weather not. looks really good Saturday, though. 27 degrees, bit of oh, light okay. cloud. Track temp will be 35, which is what Perfect. where the tyres go, yep, we're going to be good. You could. I, I, we, it won't, you won't do a 59, not with BOP on these cars, All but right. who knows? All right. This place is a surprise. All right. uh, always, always has a surprise. Uh, let's talk Right, Todd Hazelwood, Roger Largo, David Russell back again. Perennial favourites. They were an Audi in the 98. A couple of Class uh, C cars, a, a, a trio of Class C uh, cars and are they all KTM's? Yes, they are. They are. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Good KTMs. to see the KTM's back from M Motorsport. They're, they're all good driver lineups too in each of these. So, Class C for mine. Uh, until we find out who the third driver in the Janetta is, the BMW looks really good. The RNC Jorgensen strong car. Oh yeah. These KTM's are good though. They've all got great drivers. A lot of experience built in this team now. They've run outright cars. They're just focusing on Class C this weekend. They don't. They're parked there. Right. Outright GT3 Lambo. Right. Um, yeah, uh, good to see how they go. They're not overly suited to this place because they don't have grunt, and you need grunt going up the hill. Small capacity engine. It's still a 1.8. It's yeah. not something like that. They're amazing across the top, though. I was talking to Tim Macro, who's one of the drivers, three-time Australian drivers champion in F3 cars, and he said, mate, they're just phenomenal. They're like an F3 car over the top of them. And I, I think I'm seeing a few uh, faces that I recognise from Writer Engineering, who are the people behind this, so they're getting a bit of support, almost factory support there as well. That's pretty cool. Um, the Jurgens and Strom guys, of course, they were in uh, Dubai with us. They do a lot of... Uh, uh, do a lot of Creventic International Endurance Series. Uh, a couple more... And still it goes on, I tell you. Um, another uh, A-class car here, and good to see that there's an Aston Martin here. Two with R Motorsport, and they've got a history in this race. Florian Kalmogera and his team have been fantastic supporters of it, and they're back with two cars. Um, this is 
a bit emotional for those of us that like a V12 because this is probably the global swan song in a major race for the original Vantage V12 GT3 car with the way the BO, that uh, homologation works here. Can't run 19 cars until after this event. So it's the last run for the big V12. These cars will be real quick, though. The Astons have always been fast here. I've driven one of these, not in anger. Um, I raced the V8 GT4 car, but I, I drove one of these in a test session in Spain. And it's a lovely car. And I can understand why people like them around here because it's got a lovely balance. Annoyed. It's got nice grunts and it just sounds great. Annoyed. Makes you want to drive it harder. Yeah, it does. Um, so they've hedged their bets. They've got a Pro-Am car, uh, Motorsport, which is terrific. And they've got a Pro car um, oh. with Jake Dennis. Vax Vieri is a terrific driver and Kirk Offer as well. So, um, yeah, good combo. Good team. Very well drilled. That typical Swiss efficiency with a bit of UK flair. Because don't the Joda Sport guys assist behind the scenes? and. Yeah. I heard some distinctly un oh, oh, as if on time. Cue. I heard some distinctly un-Germanic tunes being played out of these garages yesterday, so I figured there was some UK influence. And don't forget our motorsport, the people who are taking the Vantage body shape, if yeah. not the Vantage engine, into DTM. And there's a link there with uh, with Christian Horner. It's Christian Horner's brothers involved in our motorsport, and Aston Martin and Red Bull Racing very closely linked. We're running out of time, but. We are just about getting towards the, the top end. And the hits keep coming, Creelsey. Number 911, that normally means that there's some Porsche factory involvement. And my goodness, the Porsche Motorsport Asia Pacific team of Romain Dumas, Mathieu Jamanier, Jam Jam, and, and Sven Muller in a sort of matte black car, which just already looks like it's doing 40 mile an hour and it's done on the jacks. Yeah, great to have Earl Bamba Motorsport running these cars for the first time. Uh, they run a pretty good Carrera Cup Asia outfit and were race winners last year with Will Bamba. Every brand wants to win this race, JH, but no brand wants to win it more than Porsche. And those that follow and support the Porsche brand believe they were robbed last year. Mm-hmm. Robbed, because if that race had gone green the whole way to the they end... They had the fuel. They finished 4th, 5th, 6th and 7th they may well have finished first, second and third. third. Yeah. Porsche have got something to prove here and they've armed El Bamba with two really good combinations. Um, Sven Muller and Jaminet haven't been here before, but Romain Dumas, seriously. Um, nine, He's well, good on hills. Yeah, Dumas pretty good on hills. Yeah, right. Um, and rally stages, um, which this place can resemble sometimes. 9-12, Dirk Werner, Dennis Olsen and Matt Campbell, who's well proven here. Matt Campbell, one of, I think, 20 drivers who were... 22, at, I think. 22, is it now, right, who were at Daytona and have come over, uh, including the next lot. Well, most of them anyway. Uh, 5.40 means, can only mean for me one thing, the chrome green of... Uh, Black Swan Racing and sure enough Tim Pappas uh, Jerome Blinkenmuller who wasn't driving with him at Daytona he was uh, in his usual gig with uh, Riley Technologies in the AMG and Mark Lieb who is who is actually Mr. Park Dr. Porsche He's, he is a doctor now I think is he Dr. Love now? No maybe not uh, Lieb means love in German oh, so, um, so I think he's finished his PhD um, and uh, he's the man actually who sells Porsches yeah. around the world still still a bit of a tidy race driver as well and an engineering uh, doctorate as well so um, if it does go wrong he should know how to fix it with a CV longer than my parts bill for my 944 he's <laughs> yeah th- he can help you with that as well I'm you sure know. he can these, uh, it's great to have these guys back I love the American influence I love having an American team come out it's been a big job for these guys they've split their crews between the Rolex team last weekend 
and the team that's coming here, but they're committed to the full Intercontinental GT Challenge with this car. This will be the last run for that current spec GT3R. The new car, Evo car, comes out for um, races after this one. They're going to be good. Porsche's strength is fuel economy. Like last year, they were by far and away the most uh, less thirsty yeah. of any of the class and A. And that, that, that part of the BOP hasn't changed. No, no, no. They, that, that's their ace up their sleeve for Porsche. But the other thing, they're fast. Like, they've got everything loaded for them. Um, next to them, combination that finished on the podium next year. They've been here for half a dozen years now. Um, David Calvert-Jones and Competition Motorsports. Icebreak sponsorship back. Kevin Estra, great driver. Um, this year, we'll get the Matt Campbell thing where we introduce another young superstar from this part of the world in Jackson Evans, right. who's the reigning Career Cup Australia champion from last year. Won the Porsche shootout. Right. He'll be in Super Cup this year. Super. It's a Porsche young professional, young junior driver now, so that's why he's in this car. Can I just give a mention, though, to David Calvert-Jones? Because ignore him at your peril. Well, I I spoke to this team earlier in the week, and they were like, we think CJ is probably one of the best AMs out of the cars with two pros and one AM. Agreed. So, class win, absolutely. But but they can stay outright competitive all day. This team competed the least pit stops of any car in the entire race last year. And that's why they almost won it. This was the car that was going to win, the icebreak car. Yep. Had the race gone its full duration and the stars aligned and everything worked out, they were the ones that were going to get to the end on fuel. So watch for them with an hour to go. If they're anywhere on the lead lap, real chance. Four cars right at the pit out end of things. And they're all class. Are they all class A cars? Yes, they are. Um, there's some quality up this end of things. First of all, yes. <laughs> First of all, Objective Racing and McLaren. McLaren have had an interesting history here at Mount Panorama. Um, The cars look great here and they've gone well here, but they've not really... Well, well, you tell me, what do you think? Have have they still got something to prove? Yeah, I think 2016 was obviously a highlight. Pole lap record win with Van Gisbergen and Alvaro Parent, Johnny Webb. Um, these guys denied last year. Starter motor failed at the last pit stop. Yes. They were running fourth. Yes. They had good fuel. It was one of those could have, should have, would have combinations. But um, it's a nice car. It's a combination. We're being told how good McElroy Racing are. It's hard to argue with that. Reigning Career Cup Australia champions. Probably win it again this year the way they go. Um, God, yeah. that looks good from the, the front with us. But, of course, 720s coming. So... Yeah. Um, there's a sign in Merchandise Alley here saying McLaren 720S GT3, Bathurst 2020. So it sounds like they're making their intentions relatively clear early. I like that, but that's that's a good thing to do. All right, last three. And there's some big names here. Isn't this a... Oh, no, that's gorgeous. Uh, it's those dive planes on the front that just they do something to it. Um, all right, the 999 car, Maxi Book, uh, Maxi Gertz, and... Uh, Maxi Marciello, because we're going to have to... <laughs> yes. it's, the, it's, it's the three Maxis. We'll change his name. This is another one of those holy moly combinations, isn't it? Maxi Book, who almost won this race in 14. Maxi Gotts has been here a couple of times. Marciello was part of the Sun Energy 1 team last year, finished on the podium. Um, Grupa M Racing, another Asian team making their debut here. They picked up some great support from Manfield to AMG team. They won the Blancpain Asia Championship in 17, so they're a proper outfit Good to have these guys here. Tied in, Chinese roots, Pagani China, amongst others, involved in the, the back end of this outfit. But, uh, yeah, cool. And you'll never miss them. It's bright yellow and green with, like, a scaly tile livery over it. It's a bit like a snake. 
incredible car. They're, they're going to be real good. Well, we've mentioned all the big German makes, Porsche, Mercedes-Benz, Audi, uh, but we've not mentioned BMW yet, but they've got the last two pits, and they've got a very eye-catching set of six drivers in these beautiful, absolutely beautiful M Motorsport. Massively emotional win for the Rahal Letterman-Lanigan team. My mate Piers Phillips has just gone there and taken over the, the role of uh, president of of racing operations Charlie Lamb sadly shuffling off his mortal coil um, last Thursday who was who's been Mr BMW and Mr Schnitzer forever and a day and you talk about the BTC days that's when I met him of yep. course and and formed a very strong friendship with him well, and in Australia it goes back further than that to 87 when the 1000 was a round of world touring car championship and those amazing M3s came to Australia for the first time and BMW Team Schnitzer was was driving those cars. So two BMW M6s, front row of the grid two years ago, pole position last year with Chas Mostert, the Schnitzer outfit. They've led the race the last two years, haven't got a result, haven't even got close to a result between these cars and the BMW Team SRM car that's not here this year. They're, they're so fast, but they've been real fragile the last two years. So they've got those kinks out now with two years' worth of experience. Either of these cars could win. Augusto Farfus, Martin Tomczyk, he's what a cool driver. Um, and Chats Mostert, who's just an absolute lunatic. And, he'll and be Farfus, one- of course, drafted in to the car that won. So yeah, he's here right. with his new Rolex because poor Tom Blomqvist couldn't get his visa through. He must be kicking himself. Good for Augusto, though, isn't it? Nice to be with a Brazilian flair in the paddock as well. Uh, and Chazzy Mostert will just plug himself in and go real fast. Ultimate plug-and-play accessory. Yeah. Um, and Vulcan Horse Motorsport, who are back their second time to this race. Michael Jensen, Nicky Katzberg, and Christian Cronin, who won the Spa 24 with that team last year. So, good outfit. M6, uh, it, it, it's been frustrating, BMW, for mine as a fan of these cars. They're a cool-looking thing. They've always been fast. They've always had issues in the race, whether it's driver-oriented or car-oriented. If they put it all together, they're as good a contenders as any, and the driver lineups of these are fantastic. So... I know we've said that a lot in this amble no, no, no. up to where we're standing now by the de-restricted speed sign and the entry to Hell Corner here at Pit Exit, but there's so many good combinations. There's, there's, for mine, there's 10 cars that can win this race easily, yeah. and then there's another half a dozen at least that if they're on the lead lap at the end with a pro Any, driver in, anything. absolutely any chance. Yeah, I, I like to think that when we do this walk, I get a bit of a better idea about who I should be watching for. Um, in the last couple of years, that's not always been the case, and definitely not this year. Krilzy, you've done a, a cracking job getting us up uh, uh, getting us up the pit lane here and talking us through this. I think we're going to be a bit busy and a bit excitable this weekend, don't you? It's going to be big. Weather's going to look good for us so far. Mid-20s in the seas on Friday and Saturday. bit hotter on Sunday, but that's all right. But chance of a splash on it, Sunday as well. It's been unpredictable. There's been more humidity here than I've ever felt. It's 100% humidity as we talk now. And there's been afternoon storms rolling in. On Monday afternoon, they had 90 millimetres of rainfall in an hour. Now, that's not going to happen on Sunday, but this place is predictably unpredictable when it comes to the weather. Could play a role. Great field. 40 cars. I think that's a perfect number as well. Hopefully we see less safety car than we've seen in the last two years and we get some more green flag running so those really interesting strategies can play out. But it's going to be an arm wrestle. This this will be a sprint race over 12 hours. That's Richard Creel. I'm John Hindorf and Johnny Palmer will help us call the race, of course, with the rest of the seven sports team headed up by Mark Beretta and you can tune in 
uh, either in audio or in sound and vision on the international feed. Go to RadioLamont.com for all the details. Right, can we start now? Can we? Well, you can start, John, but I'm afraid the rest of us uh, are going to finish because that's what we've got time for tonight. Uh, but don't forget to tune in to our live coverage from Bathurst over the next four days. You can see all the schedule on uh, radialmon.com and it converts it into your local time zone as well. Uh, but from Nick and from myself in London, that's all for now. Good night. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.